0: everyone, welcome to Oh My Pod. I'm Chelsea Reif, hoping to bring you some insight on topics that you might not know about, want to know more about, or are just generally curious about. Today I have on my grad school professor, she is a professional in residence at Loyola University Chicago, go Ramblers, killing it in the March Madness tournament. She has a very colorful background in writing, so I wanted to have her on to share her journey of writing at magazines, then moving to the digital space, and sharing some wisdom she's picked up along the way, like why having a post-grad degree isn't always the answer. Before we jump in, can you rate, review, subscribe, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, shout it out on Twitter, whatever you prefer? And speaking of tweeting, I actually tweeted Apple about the user experience on their podcast app and how hard it is to review and rate and even subscribe. So I figured I'd take the time today to walk you guys step by step because I've realized no one actually knows how to do it. So if you do have an iPhone and you listen to your podcast on the podcast app, open up my podcast, you know, Oh My Pod with Chelsea Rife. If it's not already in your library, hit subscribe so it is there and it will pop up in feed every time a new episode comes out. From there, if you hit my logo and you scroll all the way under the episodes, again, this is a horrible user experience i don't know how apple let this happen but you go under all those episodes that's where you'll see the rate and review section so i feel like i just shared some major insight so do this for me do this for any other podcast that you love to listen to on a weekly basis it really helps us with visibility, and honestly, we're bringing you free content, so just consider this a form of payment, it takes two seconds, and hopefully my little step-by-step helps out. So with that, let's get into today's episode with the vivacious Patti Lamberti. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Thank you, it's so
1: nice to talk to you. I am currently a professional in residence and the program director in journalism at Loyola University of Chicago. And prior to teaching, which I've been doing for 10 years, I was a full-time journalist at magazines and then, of course, the internet.
0: And I took your class in my grad school, which was digital media and storytelling. That's right. Which was a very specific program. I remember storytelling. People were like you read children's books? You're reading right. children's books. I was like, <laughs> Are you guys true. kidding? Like and now that's like the new word. It it's is like it's I'm a, a storyteller, word. I'm a content creator. Right. I'm like, I I went to school for that. Right. So, you know, you were on the brink of, of that word. The storytelling well,
1: word causes a lot of controversy behind the scenes. Um some of us love it and then other people are diehardly opposed to it. Oh yeah. I'm, at the moment, okay with it, but I've gone back and forth. Um, I do hate when people use it as a marketing term, and people are unclear about what they're really doing. And, in the case of a master's program, what they're really going to teach students.
0: Oh, yeah. I, we work with a ton of different brands and companies, right. and i will be like, you know, what storytellers do you have in your network? And I'm like, that's not what I would necessarily call them. Right. I would... Maybe use a content creator, a producer, or journalist—whatever the word is. Right. But to your point, I think it's a buzzword right now. Right. Um, but in your own words, and I guess what you what you were talking about, writing is that something that you say you focus on is storytelling.
1: Yes, in my own personal experience, I mean, as in my own freelance world, because I still freelance, I tend to still do true blue, old school writing journalism. I think there's still a need for it. Um, I've been doing a lot of content marketing the last couple of years, but they don't want like
0: videos, they still want articles that are text-based. Yeah, and a lot of people consume content that way. I know if I'm reading something, especially, let's use an example, I love skincare, Right. I need to be reading every little thing about skincare. What's it doing? What is it going to react like? Can I use it on my skin? I'm not going to just be like, oh, I saw a fun video where the mask was silver, like you see on Instagram, like what does it actually do? So right. I appreciate that people, to your point, are still in the old school journalism. Right. When did you realize that this was your niche, like writing and content creating? I
1: actually always wanted to be, much to my parents' dismay, a fiction writer. They really wanted me to be a pharmacist. Oh. <laughs> so we we're opposite. kind of on opposite ends. Like. Yeah. Um, but I went to, got my B.A. in English and Creative Writing, And then I got my master's degree in just writing. So I took some nonfiction classes and mostly fiction writing classes. In my master's program, I took one magazine writing class that was taught by an editor at Playboy. And I realized in that class, I mean, I had never known this about myself, that I really had a knack for interesting stories that, like, were magazine-y. You know, they They weren't hard news, but they were about weird stuff people my age at that point I was in my 20s were doing and he taught us how to pitch ideas both in written form and orally and he took a couple of my ideas and had me write them up as very short front of the book items in a magazine which means it's just about 200 words the really short um, blurbs and I just loved it I loved it you know I, they weren't bylined or anything but I just loved the process, And I realized this was a way I could write without necessarily having to publish a book. Right, um, And right when I was graduating, someone was leaving Playboy. And he recommended me for the job to one of his colleagues. And it just worked out. It was serendipitous. I was very lucky. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think a lot of my life has been luck.
0: That's what my mom says. She's like, yeah. you get lucky. But as I get older, she's like, right. no, I think you just have good direction and intention. So when right. it comes to you, it like works out yeah so sometimes it is luck but sometimes it's like actually no you're just good at what you do right, right and you exactly. landed the opportunity
1: yeah and if I if I hadn't been a good writer they wouldn't have hired me yeah but, they're not gonna hire right. Joe
0: Schmo to write from right they're whatever. not gonna
1: totally teach you everything but yeah. I also think I think so much of finding jobs and keeping jobs is about likability
0: mm-hmm. um
1: and I think you know not to toot my own horn I think people like me and yeah. I think that people um liked me then and I think it was more about the conversation. I remember when I interviewed for a job at Playboy, it was during the interview we talked about gun rights, which were less hot of a topic than they are now. Um, Abortion rights, it was just a conversation and um, I think that that's what led to me being there. I that's what helped me get every job, my ability to converse and basically show people, you know, I'm nice to be around, I have opinions,
0: yeah, you weren't just oh, what's it called, wallflower right, that right. just took every assignment and you made it your own, it right. seems like. Yeah. I mean, that is why I'm interviewing you. You were one of my p- favorite professors at this school.
1: Yeah. That's really nice to hear. Because you
0: were so personable and you didn't make us feel like we were less than or no. that we, you know, didn't belong in the program because we didn't no. have XYZ background. Um, I think a lot of people going to grad school have a fear of, like I'm not qualified enough or... I think that you know I,
1: I hate when professors or anyone in academia makes students feel less than or makes them feel um, like they're annoying I mean this is school yeah <laughs> students are paying us to learn you're not supposed to You you don't have to walk in knowing anything yeah that's what school is um, mm-hmm. and it's our job to teach and so yeah, it always bothers me when you know there there are many professors in this world who don't like teaching actually, mm-hmm. and, they, and it really upsets me. Yeah, um, you know sometimes I wish students cared more, but like in a case like you, that was that was never an issue. You genuinely cared about media, um, and 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 sometimes I don't always see that. I think there's a lot of pressure in this world to, for everyone to have a BA.
0: Oh yeah,
1: and some students like I can tell don't really care. They don't really want to be here, and I and I feel bad for them that it's become a world where you have to have one
0: yeah my brother not to call my brother out he listens right. to podcasts. but my mom always says she's like he has the EQ not the IQ Right. he's gonna do well because of that like he can talk to anybody you right. can, you can give him like that what's that saying that he can sell ice to an Eskimo or right, something right. like he's gonna be good at what he does because he can just talk to everybody Right. whereas my sister is very loves being a student like I think right. if she could be a student for 10 years she would right now she wants to go back to school and or be a nurse. she could. Yeah. And she, <laughs> she wants to go to, be to be nursing school. Years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but to like our points of, you don't need grad school if it, it's going to help you. And in right. my case, it did um, do it, but it's not absolutely required. And it seems like in your case, it wasn't something that you absolutely had no. to do to land a job at one of the biggest magazines in the country. No, I
1: mean, I was lucky because especially most magazines and, you know, so many media outlets are headquartered in New York or L.A. And I did eventually move to New York with Playboy. um, But I was really lucky they were here. Um, It was a lucky turn of events. But I don't think, I think people go to graduate school too quickly. Mm -hmm. I think they jump into it too fast. I think that people don't look enough at what, you know, not what courses are. am I really going to be in? What does the syllabus look like? What's an example of an assignment? Mm-hmm. They don't research that enough. Yeah. Um, they look at the name of the program and think, yeah, I'll make my decision based on that. But you've really got to learn more. You've got to see syllabi. You've got to see assignment sheets.
0: See what's uh, going on. See what's really going yeah. on. Sitting on a class, yeah. So in your case with Playboy, I want to talk about that specifically just magazine writing, like, right. tell us about that world. What was it like when you actually started working there? Yeah,
1: so, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was pre-internet. I'm not that old, right? <laughs> but um, it was still a world in which you were on the print side or you were on the website side, mm-hmm. okay? And there was no intermingling between the two. So okay. people who wrote and edited for the magazine did not write or edit for the website, And um, I went on to work at Latina that was also that way. So this was before, you know, 2008 when the recession collapsed Mm -hmm. and it changed everything Um, in many ways. And I think it made journalism organizations look at their staffs more closely and say, wait, why can't we have the same people write for both print and online? Mm -hmm. Um, And especially pre-recession, it was a fun world, and I think there's it still is. I mean, I'm not sure there were as many as events though, and as many great trips. Um, I used to go on so many press trips where cities would pay for me and other journalists to come out just to become familiar with the city. They would mm-hmm. call it familiarity trips, and they put us up, they pay for our airfare, put us up in hotels, take us out for three meals a day. You know, in in Mexico, some town paid for me. I went. I kiss, swam with dolphins. Oh my I think picture me swimming a dolphin. And oh my goodness! I just think all of that
0: has yeah. disappeared,
1: um, and all of the fun. There were so many parties. I was always invited to. It was great.
0: I can't imagine. Yeah. I, did you? I just have to ask. Did you ever go to the Playboy Mansion? I
1: didn't go to the Mansion, okay. <laughs> but I was one of. you ever didn't talk to everybody on that real stamp, but he loved faxing me. Ooh. Um, fun fact. He yeah he lo- there was email. He just was a faxer. <laughs> Um he um I edited the jokes page, which was the page on the back of the centerfold, and he thought it was one of the most important pages in the magazine. Wow. Well, that's and, a good yeah. place to be. And you know, you could just tell his mood. So every month I would send him about thirty jokes. And then, you know, we would only publish six or seven. And just depending on his mood, some months he would send me back um the jokes with a note like, this is, these are all hilarious, you have a great sense of humor. And then other months, all of a sudden the phone would ring and it would be his personal secretary saying, please hold, I have Heff on the line. And he would totally tear me apart. Oh! And so you never knew what kind of month you were gonna have, really. Um,
0: so he was that involved. Like he, he was, was that like...
1: involved with a few sections and pages of the magazine. Okay. Um, strangely, he didn't care things ab- about things like the feature stories. Mm-hmm. He cared about like the jokes page, just, and they had a section called Playmate News, which was like updating people on what playmates were doing, oh and he really goodness. cared about that. Um, but there was some stuff he just didn't care about. Um, but I think, I mean, he was always involved in, in kind of the overall look and the overall direction. Uh, but there were some pages, like the jokes page, where he would actually line edit the jokes. Mm. So, I mean, he would, like, send them back with, like, a comma taken out and, like.
0: He was, like, editor-in-chief yeah, of the jokes
1: section. Like, and he was, like, a copy editor also of them. He was, like, super focused on the jokes page. Um, so it was really, I mean, that was really fun. There was a lot of fun there.
0: Have you ever read the book or heard of the book How to Murder Your Life? No. Okay, so it's a girl... I've heard of it. So she was a beauty editor at oh, a magazine. Oh, yes,
1: I've read this. What's her... It's her, the editor of yes. Yes, yes, Okay. I and, totally read
0: that. Yeah. And I, what she did for me, outside of being a super entertaining book, because you just right. don't meet people like that every day, she opened up the world of magazine writing yeah. and it's specifically like beauty and fashion and how insane it seemed to be. I thought it was like, come in write a few articles, no. leave, get it edited, and it, it, that book is insane. Actually, like, it, was
1: it was so I – re, I read that book, too, and I did love it. And um, I think that there was one story that where she talks about having to write 200 words and she just couldn't, couldn't do it. She had, she, like, an emotional meltdown it over it.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask because then it, yeah, did that ever happen to you? Well, yeah, I've
1: always found – I still find it that way. Writing 200 words is so much harder than writing 2,000. That's um, crazy. I think in 200 words you have to be entertaining, catchy, but also still have a bunch of facts. Um, And, you know, in 2,000 words, you just have more room to do that. So I think writing is also harder now than it used to be. I think that articles in print tend to be shorter and all articles online are shorter. So I actually think it's really hard to write now um, because you have to be both catchy and full of facts.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because I work in a world of, like, content marketing where we do use, like, professional journalists, professional videographers. But we also use, like, mom bloggers to promote a product so in a way, they're becoming like mini publishers themselves. Right. Right. So they are like all these different content creators are kind of like cluttering the space because you're like, should we pay a mom blogger five hundred dollars to be a, a guest writer in this magazine, or should right. we have Patty Lamberti who's written for XYZ? Right. What are, What are your opinions on how many people create content? Well, you right?
1: should hire Patty Lamberti. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's <laughs> obviously the answer. No, I I think um love also i i there's a lot of people discuss are are we writing more as a society or writing less are we reading more because now there's twitter read i mean you know twitter feeds to read and Mm -hmm. um you know even if it's kylie jenner's i think we're reading more as a society i think we're writing more as a society i think that when the pen used to only be in the hands of professional writers People graduated from college and then never wrote again. Yeah. So I think now people are writing more. Um, I think that everyone should be given a chance to be their own publisher. I mean, why not? And I Mm -hmm. think, um, you know, I I also think that what people are responding to with mommy bloggers, for instance, is that, you you know, it used to be, journalism used to be just the facts. You know, and you could never imply what your opinion was. I think people now want to know what are people's opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, People want to know the writer. Behind the article, behind the words And I don't think there's anything wrong with that I never thought that because journalists are human beings And yeah. so I've never understood You know, why, why can't we have opinions yeah. And clearly state what they are
0: Was opinion writing It sounded like that was what you were doing at Playboy I did
1: do a lot of opinion writing there um, And Playboy was a publication That took a very Liberal stance on um, Privacy issues, sexual freedom And the constitution Things like that and I love that because I think that all all websites, all media outlets, they are, um, just by what they choose to cover, they sort of already have an opinion, right? right. I mean, it's, it's sort of already implied by what they choose to cover and not cover. So yeah. I like actually... What I liked about Playboy and what I like about all journalism now is when it's clearly and boldly stated what's opinion and what's not. Mm -hmm. I think what's starting to confuse people is they don't understand that this is an opinion article or an opinion piece. Or or satire. Right, or satire. (laughs) People just don't understand. You know, it's almost like what happens is there's no media literacy anymore in this Mm -hmm. world. And I also think, you know, organizations could do better at clearly – At the very top, right next to the headline, which all people read, state, you know, is this opinion or is it not? Um,
0: And that's something I think we could all do better at. Yeah. How did the magazine world work when you are writing so many opinion pieces? I imagine at some point you're like, I've said all my opinions. Like, how does the creative wheel keep spinning or... Or does someone pitch you ideas and then you have to figure out how to write it? I want to give some background on right. people that are looking into that specific career. So,
1: um, what I don't think, you know, magazines will never die. And neither will The Art of Freelance or Pitching. Um, we did both. I mean, we would occasionally, we would all have creative months where we, maybe were writing a couple of things. They were short or long. But then some months, I don't know, we didn't have any ideas, but they didn't fly with the editors at the time. Um, We always read pitches from freelancers. I was surprised at all of the places I've worked at how few pitches we actually got. I think everyone assumed, oh, Playboy must get tons of pitches. So nobody was pitching us, actually. And I found that to be true at Latina, too. That there was this sense that it's impossible to break into the magazine business so as a result, no one was pitching anything. Oh, so you're just like, where's the yeah. pitches? <laughs> so what? I mean, what I especially did, Latina. We had a and Playboy. We had a stable of writers that we really trusted. Um, a lot of times, they'd come to us with ideas because they knew kind of we had less freelance ideas being pitched to us than people thought. Or we'd come up an idea, come up with an idea, and then assign it to them, which is the best position to be in when
0: you don't have to come up with the idea mm-hmm. and someone just calls you with the work. So you think that's better than you, I guess having your idea get shot down, or you're saying like, yeah. having the creative freedom. Be like, I pitched that idea, I wrote it, and now it's published. I'm I mean, sure that's rewarding it too. Yeah. It
1: also depends. You know what, what your goals are. I mean, I think yeah. you can be a freelance writer. The, the less picky you are, the more money you can make at it. I know some people who are freelance writers and will only write about. It x y and z cool topics because they want to be cool but i'm like but if you would just write anything for anyone you'd be making money money." so (laughs) i think it depends what your goals are um Mm -hmm. but i think that there you know there's a lot of great resources like it costs 50 dollars a year but media bistro has an avant guild section that's called how to pitch and they just have hundreds of um, interviews they've done with editors of websites, magazines, newspapers, and they give you every detail. What is the person's email address? What are they looking for in a pitch? What do they pay? How far in advance do you need to get the story idea to them? You see, and then if you you know, Media Bistro has a paid section. That that's fifty dollars a year, but you could also if you just research enough find all that information you know for free somewhere else
0: yeah there's a ton of resources right like especially like we're talking about with digital like right i was just telling you i learned how to edit my podcast on youtube right from an eight minute video so
1: and i think i think editors want people to know what they're looking for it makes their lives easier yeah right if they don't have any freelance writers to do it then they've got to write it
0: yeah absolutely um
1: so it makes their lives easier
0: you said at Playboy you were not bylined, or you were...
1: I was for some stuff, but not for everything. Okay. Some sections of the magazine just didn't have bylines. Um, It just wasn't a part of... That Nobody had a byline of them. It wasn't just me. And can you explain what a byline is for anyone that doesn't yeah. know? Oh, a byline is by... And then whose ever name wrote the article. Yeah. So in my case, it was by Patty Lamberti. And, you know, you'll tend to see it, and you'll see it everywhere, actually. Some... Especially towards the front of a magazine or a short article won't have a byline. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I mean, I guess just from a design standpoint, you don't want, like, all these names all over the place. And then, of course, longer articles do tend to have bylines.
0: I want to talk about that and maybe, like, the pride and ego that goes into seeing your byline. Because I imagine if I wanted to work in a beauty um, editing department for Elle magazine... I would pray that my name was right. all over so people realize, oh Chelsea Wright wrote that. Um was that hard for you when you found out maybe things weren't getting bylined yes. and how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah, I mean I was you know, it wasn't random what was byline and what wasn't. So that helped to be like to kind of know going into it, oh this section is doesn't have bylines, this section does. Mm-hmm. But I the high of seeing my name in print, I still feel that high sometimes yeah. um was great. And then I was also very ambitious, and you know, I wanted more money Mm -hmm. and more power at places. So, you know, you have to show writing samples when you want a new job, or even to freelance to prove you've written before. And you really, obviously, you want them to say, "But you have your byline on it." Mm -hmm. I have, in the past, told people, "I I wrote this, but it just it wasn't a a byline section of the of the magazine." Right. Um, and I, especially as I've done more and more content marketing, a lot of it is not bylined. Yeah. And I've just told people, I I did really write this, and I said, <laughs> if you want to talk to the editor I worked with, I'd be happy to arrange it. Um, I think people believe you. I can't imagine people wouldn't yeah. believe you. I guess
0: that would be crazy yeah. to make up that you made a right. entire to piece to make up that
1: you made something up. I mean, I guess someone could, but yeah. Um, I I I think, but you know, that was hard when I would not see my name on something. Um. Or, or I really wanted my name on something. I also had some stories that were like, one of them was about, um, I wrote a book review of, of the history of masturbation. I think it was called. Oh my and goodness. And of course that had a byline and i was great. My mom and my dad get this. <laughs> great. They're, They're
0: like, uh, you can leave that one off the portfolio. Right.
1: And I think so, a lot, that is happening to a lot of journalists who have done something in the past that had a byline and now they can't get rid of it. On Google search results. Yeah. And so I've I've noticed in the last couple of, uh, towards the end of when I was doing a lot of editing, I had a couple of freelance writers tell me they didn't want their name on something oh, because wow. they didn't want it to be associated like with the lifetime brand. Yeah. They were like, I
0: don't want anybody to know I, I did this for them. Oh that's funny. Yeah. So it's like kind of what you're aligned with right. through your byline. People are like, I don't like you said, I don't want really Right. Like I that. don't
1: want people to know I did this. So I always respected, you know, whatever people
0: wanted to do. Yeah. And what about criticism? We just talked about this. Yeah. You, you let me guest speak at your class. Yes, which is thank so nice. You. That was
1: well, so lovely for you to do. Well, that. thank
0: you. I felt like a mini celebrity. I was. You like, were. Oh, you I are a mini speak. celebrity. Yeah. They were
1: like. I could tell they were like. She's so smart and beautiful. Oh well, thank <laughs> you to like
0: a ten-person class, everyone. Yeah. By the way, um, but we were talk A girl asked, "What's some advice you would give?" And I was like, I, "The first thing that came to mind because I feel like I'm still learning it is not taking things right. personally." Because I am very sensitive and emotional. Right. But in sales, you have to have thick skin. And so I imagine in magazine writing, any type of writing yes. job, it goes through millions of rounds of edits and approvals. And you might have thought it was a home run right off the bat. And then right. when you get it redlined back, you're like, I thought I killed that. How did you deal with negativity and criticism? Well,
1: I think you point out something really good, which I think a lot of younger content creators don't realize, which is that. What you turn in is not going to be the final product because it often, it doesn't go to just one person. It goes to a variety of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at first, you know, when my ideas were rejected, I particularly had a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I'm so embarrassed. I said that. Um, and then I, 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 you know, I remember a couple times I ran into the bathroom and cried.
0: Yes. Yeah, um, so you got to do it in you private. You always <laughs> have to cry in the bathroom at work, <laughs> yeah. never
1: in public. Um, yeah. I realized they were and I and I listened closely I remember one time an editor said I don't like any of these ideas and at first I was gonna get upset and then I said oh no he didn't say he didn't like me he said I didn't like the ideas Mm -hmm. um to tell the truth, that wasn't my best work you know I started to realize that when I was getting the most um heavy critiques it was when I was turning in stuff Part of me, because I was anxious and I wanted to have power quickly, mm-hmm. I would turn in stuff before it was really ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be known as the person who could get something done very fast, and it took me years to realize that fast doesn't mean good.
0: No. Um,
1: and so I, I've, you know, I've gotten better about it, especially now. Nothing needs to go out as quickly as I think it does, and I've been sitting on things longer.
0: Yeah, patience is a virtue. Patience Island. is a
1: virtue, and and. You know, the speed at which you do something isn't always the most
0: important thing. Yeah, that's a transferable, I feel like, lesson right. across everything. Everything. There's like, no no rush to do anything, really. No. So at Playboy, before we move on to, like, your other sure. careers, I want to know what was, like, the funnest thing you wrote about? And then maybe what was, maybe that one was your most no, embarrassing I have a, or worst? Like, some fun stories? I have the fun funnest stories.
1: story. I think that I did. It wasn't bylined or anything. Was... I had heard about these um, products. They were, like, basically pheromone sprays. And they came for men and for women, okay? And they were promising, if you spray yourself with these, and they smelled horrible. They had, like, they were, like, donut smells. Oh, God. Uh. (laughs) Um, They just smelled, like, really weird stuff. If you sprayed yourself with them, they, like, promised. They had, like, alleged research that showed you would get hit on more by members of the opposite sex. So I offered to test it um, oh goodness! <laughs> myself. And I said, and my friends were going to do it too, my male and my female friend. So I remember I was at work. I sprayed myself. I took the bus home. And actually, all of these women and men, I swear to God, did treat me differently. I remember one woman was like, I could tell she was hitting on me and she gave me her seat on the bus. Oh my goodness. And then the night worked. I had gone out with my friends, and this one guy who, like, never went home with women, took, like, instantly went home with a woman.
0: It, like, completely worked. So it worked. Yeah. Are and these on sale
1: anywhere? Yeah, I can't now. I can't remember what they are. I'll have to look them up. That was really fun. You know, I, I interviewed a couple people because, you know, I was young and excited. I got to interview some celebrities and, like, Jack Black, and that was really oh my gosh. fun. That's crazy. Yeah. And then, but there was some, you know, non, um, in Playboy, there was some stuff that I wrote about that, um, I mean, I wasn't embarrassed. I just found it a little boring. For a while, I got like on the, I was in charge of the Playmate News section. Mm. And believe it or not, they don't actually do that much as time <laughs> goes on. So I was just sort of like, God, I got to write another three pages of this. Yeah. Um, so it was just sometimes a little boring. And then I I, I had, for a while, I like, got on the section of what's coming next month. Oh. And I was
0: just like, oh, God. I'm You're like, not even a current boring. topic. Right.
1: Yeah. And and so some of it was boring, but I've also realized, I mean, I was also being a little bit, I edited the letters to the magazine, the letters to the editor. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, you know, I was a little bit like, I'm beyond this. But really... A lot of jobs are boring a little bit There's always a part of every job I don't care who you are that's boring And you have to accept it and just hit that out of the ballpark
0: Yeah I mean this sounds like a silly example But I feel like I have to bring it up People like look up To the Kardashians sometimes. And they're like, their life is amazing. They're jetsing, they're traveling. And I actually think of how exhausted they must be. Oh my God, they must be so exhausted. I was like, I bet you that all they want to do is sleep because they're probably spending like two hours on hair and makeup and then two hours interviewing and then two hours making a statement and talking to a PR team and strategy. I'm like, I bet you a lot of their lives are boring, but we're only seeing the package deal on Instagram and Facebook or whatever. Right. And so when people are like, oh, I want to be Kylie Jenner, I'm like, I think she's very sad that she doesn't have a normal life and she's and to our point of like thinking oh man she's living the dream all she probably wants to do is sleep and thinks a lot of what she does is even
1: right I think that I think a lot of life is boring you gotta make it a game for yourself yeah I've also done a lot of boring writing after playboy Um, I don't think I'm supposed to say but like (laughs) uh, there's a fast-food dining franchise that I was doing a lot of writing for their internal publication And it was, like, talk about boring. That was boring. But I was, like, I have got to, like, make this a fun game for myself. Mm -hmm. And I just made it, like, a puzzle. And I don't know. I got really into it. And I I ended up loving doing them. I mean.
0: Challenging yourself. Yeah.
1: Life is sometimes boring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Right. Life lesson. (laughs)
1: Life lesson.
0: (laughs) So from Playboy, were you full-time there? I was, yeah. And then at what point were you like, I'm ready for something new? Or did it something happen where you're like, I just need a change?
1: You know, they moved us to New York, which was very generous. Again, this was all before the recession. So they also moved us out in like top style. Ooh. They put us up. They paid for a broker's fee. They put us up in a hotel for two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, it was great. And I got there and then I got like really ambitious and I was like, I'm gonna rule the world. <laughs> and I also realized nobody I think everyone needs to think about this at some point. Nobody at Playway was going to retire. Mm. Um, no one was going to leave. Um and so I was like, Okay, if I wanna move up and make more money, which actually I, my rent was more than it had been yeah, in it's Chicago. New York. Um I do need to leave because nobody's going to retire, no one's going to leave, and they're not going to create new positions. Mm -hmm. So that's what really made me start, um, to look for another job, and that's when I went to Latina Magazine, which I got through actually, um, someone who used to work at Playboy's daughter's best friend was there. Networking? Yeah, networking. So, um, that's how I got that job, and, you know, I loved that because I had a lot more power there, I did more editing instead of just writing, um... And I was more involved in the art. I mean, sometimes working at a place with a smaller staff that's less well-funded is actually more rewarding.
0: Mm -hmm. That's kind of like, I feel like, the startup mentality. Right, right. When you get to see it grow from, you know, a seed to a full plant, you're like, I had an involvement in that whole process. Right. Versus how many people worked at Playboy when you were there?
1: You know, it was like the height of Playboy doing really well. So, I mean, (laughs) I can't even remember. I know that now it's a fraction of that because I've looked a few times at the Masthead. But, um... I, I can't remember. I mean, at one point, you know, there were like 25 people on the editorial team, though, which is a lot of a people lot, just yeah. to be working on a monthly magazine. Um, and maybe even more, actually. If I factor in all the art
0: people, I yeah, would say even more, oh, maybe 45 or 50. Yeah. Yeah. So. I want to know because I feel like I had a misconception of magazines that you had to have that background to work for them. No, in fact, so. <laughs> nobody
1: at Playboy. There was only one person at Playboy who was an editor or a writer with a journalism degree. Oh wow, the That's uh, crazy. Uh, editor under Hugh Hefner at you know the end. By the time I worked there, he had a religious studies degree. Oh my god, um, only one person had a journalism degree. One person didn't have a degree.
0: What? <laughs> but Wait, how did it. they get those jobs then? I don't even know,
1: you know, they were good. Again, I think part of it was their art of being able to like talk and they could all yeah. write definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were all skilled at networking. And uh, yeah, but there was only one person with like a traditional journalism degree.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. But like, they didn't hire you and say, do you read Playboy? Are you Playboy's number one fan? Was that a question? That was not a question. Okay. What
1: they did say to me during the hiring process was, because Playboy had a very specific stance, a very liberal stance on issues like um, abortion. They were very pro-choice. Um, they had a very liberal stance, oddly enough, of course, on pornography, right? They yeah. were They were just pro-free speech more than anything yeah. So they asked me questions like that during the interview. Um, and even if I had answered... I think that I, you know, I I definitely um, believe in gun legislation. But even if I said I love guns, I'm totally for the Second Amendment. I I don't think they would have had a problem with it. I think they wanted to know I could talk about it, right, form an opinion, per, yeah, form an opinion,
0: yeah, and sense. new
1: things about the world. Um, HR did tell me, though. I mean, they actually played where it was before the Me Too movement. I feel like they were kind of on top of that. Yeah. And HR, I mean, they just said, we just want to make sure, as you can see, there's a lot of naked women around here. Are you okay with that? That's true. And I was like, yeah. And I mean, you you know, everybody who worked there was, was okay with that. Um, right. I, obviously, okay. I would hope
0: so. Yeah. Right. So that's what I'm thinking, like, with Latina... I'm assuming you didn't come in speaking Spanish. Well no, and it's funny. I,
1: I don't speak Spanish. I okay. have always wondered if they thought I was Latina. Oh um, I had mentioned during the interview that I was married. And I I've always wondered if they thought Lamberti was my married last name. Oh wow. Um and it's and, not- and it's not no, it's my real last name and I'm so no, I'm not Latina at all. And um I don't they never asked me that question either. They were definitely like you know, could you can you understand the culture? Right. More importantly,
0: how did you learn to
1: understand? It culture? was. I mean, I learned from my coworkers. A lot of them were Latinas. Um, I learned a lot from them more than anything.
0: I was because I going back to like my beauty editor example because right. I thought that's what I wanted to be too for a little bit out of college, but I was like, no, I had to have a beauty internship and I need no. to have samples of beauty writing and I need to make sure that I know everything about every product on the line before I apply to that. But it seems. To your experience you maybe don't
1: no I think I don't think you need to I don't think you de- I think you need to exude passion That's um true. you know even in when if you're applying for a job you know usually before you can meet somebody there's got to be at least some kind of email exchange or something you've mm-hmm. got to exude passion and in, in that letter um and in that copy more than anything
0: yeah so at Latina, you're learning the culture. You're not actually even Hispanic. Right. At some point, were you like, "How did I get here?" Or like, "Do I have to fake it till I make it?" As they say. I still feel
1: like I'm faking it till I make it. Um, <laughs> I still do, and I think it's funny. I just went out with a friend of mine who's like wildly successful in the film industry, and she told me I'm a total. Um, she called it a film pastor. Oh, <laughs> I think, I many people feel that way that they're still faking it till they make it, and, and I definitely have um, felt that at Latina i feel that in all of my jobs.
0: Yeah. I think we talked about that a little bit in that class. Right. I, is like sometimes you do step back and you're like, is this my job? Like, right. I do I know here? what I'm doing? Yeah. No. Like, do, I, you have that feeling of like, they're going to catch me. Right. They're going to catch like, me. Like, I'm not qualified for this. But in the end, it's like they don't hire people off the streets to come into right. these jobs. So you are qualified to your point of like exuding passion. Right. It's also like, you know, you're qualified and you're passionate and I you think, deserve to be I here. And I think
1: people think, no, passion matters more. I think... I often, I, I finally learned to tell myself that my, someone told me to stop trying, um, stop giving 100%. They were like, your 70% is probably everyone else's 100%. So just give 70%. And I was like, oh, okay. And actually that freed me up. I feel like I became less anxious. Yeah. Took a lot um, of pressure
0: off. Right.
1: Because it was too much pressure on myself. And I, and I do think, I don't, know, I don't know if men feel that they're faking it. I think that's something women always feel.
0: Oh, my gosh. I have to, get, like, tell a funny story right now. I heard a... I listened to another podcast. Shout out to her right. on compliments. And she was talking about how in stand-up, right. the most mediocre guys will go up there and right. at, at an open mic and think that they are, like, the funniest, like, about to get a Netflix special. Right. And they're like, are you, are you serious? Like, you just told a chicken joke. Right. Where the girls are actually hilarious, but they're like, oh, my God, I'm not sure. And so I love that you worked at these huge publications right. where you might think they're male dominated or you had a bunch of male counterparts but the whole the whole joke of the thing was the girl ended up saying like have confidence of a mediocre white male. Right,
1: yes. right because that's all you need to do actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. all you need to
0: do have the confidence of a mediocre white male and you'll be fine. Exactly yeah. and so to your point like give 70% and also right have mediocre confidence. I I
1: gotta tell you, I've been doing the give 70% for a few years
0: now. Nobody has noticed the difference. So it's (laughs) like, you might as well. Exactly. That's so true. So at Latina, how long were you there?
1: I was there for, I think, two years. And then I left because, well, this is when I started, around this time, I started to figure out I kept thinking I wanted a new job with more power. I finally realized after I went to my next job that what I really hated was sitting eight hours a day. So that's actually why I got into teaching. I was like, oh my God, I don't have to sit in the same place for eight hours a day. But at that point, I didn't realize that. So I went and I knew that the future was online. So I went to Lifetime's website. At that point, they were trying to do a lot of content that wasn't about their TV shows or their movies, but about lifestyle issues. Mm-hmm. And thank God I did. They taught me a lot about um, software, content management systems, things that I didn't know yeah. at all.
0: How, and you learned that all at lifetime. I learned that
1: all at lifetime. And not, you know, a lot of times people aren't, well, there used to not be the plethora of YouTube videos right. that are now. Um, now you could teach any, yourself anything. They really took the time to teach me and a few other people a lot, um, which was great.
0: When you started, though, at Playboy, you were getting, you said, like this top-notch streaming, you're traveling, yeah. you're interviewing Jack Black, and then you transitioned to the eight hours a day. When did that happen? Like, was there a decline in what magazines and journalists or being treated like, or was um, it just where you were working that was the environment? It was just
1: where I was working. I mean, obviously, no job's perfect. So, I mean, every time I left, there was a reason I left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I definitely felt like I wasn't going to get promoted at Playboy. I mean, I don't, I, there are gender issues in every workplace. Mm-hmm. I definitely started to feel like, you know what, I'm sick of working with all these men. Yeah. Who like, I don't know if they're necessarily doing anything better than me, yet somehow they have better job titles. Yeah. Um They weren't Nobody ever did anything Egregious there though I mean actually This whole Me Too thing Has made me realize Like <laughs> Um You know Nobody did anything Particularly bad Right I just um I felt like there were people Less qualified than me there though Who had better titles And I was tired of that And then at Latina There were definitely Other different personal dynamics Where I was kind of Tired of some of the personalities Of the people I worked with
0: Yeah
1: Um and I lifetime I, I definitely left because of <laughs> <laughs> But then in, to their respect I also realized a lot of the frustration I was feeling wasn't just the people I was working with. I didn't I didn't like sitting eight hours a day.
0: Yeah. It was just we were constantly doing the same thing. Right. Over and over, over and, over, and job, I was just sick of it. Right.
1: So I was just tired.
0: Was that a misconception you had? Because yes. I feel like we talked about this too earlier in the class was I think people see job titles or company names and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to be traveling, I'm going to be behind the scenes, I'm going to be on the ground speaking to people. And then you get there and you're like, oh oh my God, I work in a closet on a a computer and I never leave. What were some misconceptions you made Yeah, I
1: definitely have misconceptions. I guess I just thought journalists... And I think there are journalists who do this are out more talking to people in places, and that it was it's more on the scene. What I learned at all of these jobs is that it's definitely more phone interviewing and online research and writing stuff um in microsoft work and i I just didn't want to be sit that much and be quiet that much and um I, I just was done with that more than anything. And I don't I don't know how I got those conceptions from TV, from mm-hmm. movies. I mean, they always, you know, make it seem like journalism is fun and your life is fabulous. And it's, it actually can be pretty
0: boring sometimes. Yeah. What was actually the process of seeing your work, I guess, not seeing your work, Writing the draft, getting it edited, seeing it published, like how long did that take like a bit of behind the scenes for you yeah. to realize, oh, this is the process I'm doing every well, time.
1: Well, I mean, it's funny. It, in a monthly magazine, it's a very slow process. I mean, well, you know, you, an article goes through all of the the writers, the editors, the fact checkers back to the writer. You know, that can take three weeks. Some articles took three months. Um, I think it depended what you were writing. But it was definitely a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um you know, at Lifetime, it was a matter of hours There, because there weren't also those layers. I mean, the other thing yeah. is there's not that many fact checkers anymore in the world. So there's mm-hmm. the more layers you remove, though, the more chance there are for errors um, and problems. But that was a matter of hours. But it just, you know, it felt very repetitive. Yeah. And I was on autopilot by the end.
0: Were there any articles that you published during any of these magazines that you worked at that blew up? In a bad way? You see that now where something happens and people are going, oh, we we retract our semen, we didn't mean to say that. Um, And how did you deal with the negativity or or criticism or backlash? Actually,
1: I do remember I wrote an article for Playboy about judges who abuse their power. Mm -hmm. Um, They would like take, some of these judges would take people out of You know, they'd sentence them to prison, take the prison inmates out to, like, have them serve dinner parties at their house. Um, Whoa. Yeah. It was, like, a world I didn't know existed. And actually, the Law Journal Review is the place I got all of the stories from. And I think they still do it. Um, But I remember that I had written it. It had gone through the copy editors, the fact checkers. Then it came back to an editor that worked. His desk was right next to mine. And it was, like... He was asking me kind of rapid-fire questions about one of the judges and what happened. He said, I'm going to rewrite it so that it says this. Are you sure that's accurate? And I almost just didn't want to say no. I was intimidated and young. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure. For some reason, I felt like saying I'm not sure wasn't Mm -hmm. an option. Yeah. So I said, yeah, that's fine. And the judge almost sued us Ooh. and I remember um, every person in the entire built or Playboy office so like, like 150 people people in marketing people who like worked oh in God. like products got a copy of the article on their desk and said do not talk about this article with anybody you know with my name on it so it was very embarrassing yes
0: oh my gosh
1: so and I learned from that I just kind of learned it's okay to say I don't know
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I need more time
0: is mm-hmm. what I should have done that mean, brings me to another question of like what are some mistakes that you learned outside of we talked about like patience not needing to get things out the door so rapidly right being able to say you know what I really don't know the answer right um are there anything other items that you can think of that you're like I really wish I would have learned I that mean
1: sooner. I wish I had learned sooner how to talk up in meetings how to pitch ideas how to offer suggestions um I wish I had learned earlier how to have a little more faith in my own ideas and not be so critical of myself. I think I very was very critical of myself for a long time, and it took me a long time to realize I'm not the stupidest person in
0: the room. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right? Um, yeah. So I wish I had done that a lot faster, because it would have saved me a lot of heartache and anxiety.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one to learn, though, I think, it, for anybody, any age, any right. Field. Like, you are your own worst enemy. You are your own worst enemy. And your thoughts are usually the things that hold you back the most, more than anyone else. Right. Other people
1: don't care that much. People aren't... You know, I've learned now people aren't listening, really. You know, (laughs) people are tired. People are like... (sighs)
0: <sighs> that that reminds me of a story Once I went to the sales pitch And there was only two people in the room And I, I swear to god I think this lady was closing her eyes
1: Which, so I so think she, she has fell asleep to do with you.
0: And I was like She Oh my god She hates what I'm saying no. And I was being like Animated and lively And I was like Here's what we can do Da 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 And and her eyes were closing, and I was like really offended, and I was like, well, I'm that, so "I am have so to worry. say that is very rude." That was Whenever rude.
1: I see people doing that in meetings or like my students in classes, I get really mad. I'm like, "That's just
0: rude." Yeah, that was rude, but I'm like, "Okay." But she also didn't nothing to do with you. She was didn't get any sleep. Yeah, she before, did before, I was like, "Who knows? Person. Maybe this is feedback. Guy right. need to do something different on my pitch." But I, I do remember being like. Wow, I'm not as important as I thought it was. Right, but it doesn't matter. Like it's just one meeting; it it's doesn't affect the rest of my I life. Mean, the
1: other thing I've realized is, unless somebody dies, I end be getting so upset. Oh over, my gosh! Um,
0: yes, so many things. We have that talk all the time at work because right. you know there's clients that will come back upset about something. Right. And it's advertising, and they didn't like the message, or it's not getting as many clicks or engagement as they wanted, and they'll be really angry. And I have to like I call it, but I my new word for this is like the snow globe effect, right? Where I like take myself out and pretend I'm looking at myself at a, from a snow globe point of view, right? And I'm like, this client is getting mad about a potato chip, right? Like, we're it marketing is. a potato chip. Is this real? And it is just
1: like, people take themselves too seriously. Unless someone dies, don't worry about it. Or someone's in danger of dying. Exactly.
0: I was like, that's the, I guess, the luxury of the industries we work in is we're not saving lives. We're not putting someone in harm or danger. Like, we're truly just trying to make people either laugh or educated or entertained. And so, I like to do that a lot. When you get upset, it's like, did someone die?
1: Right. Is someone going to die?
0: If not, let's just move on. Move on. Right. So, you got pretty burned out from the magazine industry or you're just over it and you ended up in teaching
1: yeah I think um, but you know it wasn't it wasn't like oh I don't want to do this anymore I'll become a teacher it was more like I actually realized it wasn't that I wanted to stop being a journalist I wanted I really realized I think my personality would be better mm. suited to teaching okay Um, and I, I just realized I really wanted to teach it wasn't like I was just sick of journalism I'm done right? I'm just going to retire and become a teacher because to tell the truth it's actually I find teaching much more challenging. Oh yeah. You have to enter like you were saying about people falling asleep. I mean, you're basically on stage all the time. Yeah. Um and I find it very challenging and I find it I mean, now I'm obviously better at it, but when I first started, I had a little to know, I had a little teaching experience but not much, so it was like totally
0: overwhelming. I like developed huge insomnia. Oh my god, I can't imagine. Yeah. Because that's how I felt when I was managing only four people. I was like, (gasps) and you're teaching, what, probably hundreds of kids every year. Yeah, and I was
1: just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I talk about I felt like such a fraud. (laughs) Um, Now I'm much better about it, of course. But again, um, yeah, it was a tough switch. But I, you know, I love teaching. Um, I still like doing freelance work. Um, yeah, you have. Yeah. Where I you came like from. It. Yeah, I mean, it's where I come from and I like it. And when I don't have any to do, like right now I'm in a
0: dry spell, I'm like, what do I do again with my time? Yeah. And, um, it's probably nice, though. Right. You can do whatever you want.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's nice. I don't turn anything down. Um, Hustler. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe I turn them down.
0: Right. <laughs> so... You said you didn't really have that much teaching background, right? But now you are heading up a department. Yeah, I
1: know. Isn't that funny? So how did that
0: whole trajectory well, happen? Well,
1: I did when I was in New York, still working as a journalist. I did realize, okay, I think I would I would be a good teacher. Um, and I was like, before I like try to go to be a high school teacher and like get certified for that, I'm just going to try to go to the college route, and then. I so I got a job teaching adult learners at not adult learners. I don't even know what that means. Like um, (laughs) people who were taking writing classes at a writing center. Right. So it was one night a week for three hours, and I think that helped me get the job at Loyola. I interviewed at a few places. Some some schools really value professionals who worked in the industry. Other schools are like you know you need a PhD Mm -hmm. and we don't care if you've ever worked in the real world at all. Loyola happens to be a school that like cares if you worked
0: professionally right. more.
1: And I think in journalism that's really important.
0: Absolutely. Because yeah. if you want to learn journalism you should probably learn from a journalist. Right.
1: Not like, like somebody who's never published right. a story. Yeah. exactly. Right. right. So
0: did you find it hard to turn off your journalism editing lens when you're editing students' yes. papers? <laughs>
1: yeah, I do. I do. Because um because the other thing like you and I were saying, you know, it's hard to take feedback in your late 20s and 30s, these people are even younger. Oh, yeah. So I don't want to crush them ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I just have to limit myself. I never, like, take out a red pen. Um mm-hmm. I don't, I rarely will line edit anything. And instead, I kind of give feedback on the general concept. Instead of picking out everything that's wrong, Yeah. I'll kind of focus on one or two major issues. And, and it's important to always say also what works.
0: Um, and what you do like and just start off with that that's that's a great point actually is I've noticed even with my job, yeah, everything. We'll do a we'll do a team meeting on a Friday, thirty minutes, and my boss will say something like, "You know what Chelsea does really well with her subject lines, and that that will make my whole day." Yes, because that's what people will remember. Yeah, and I'm like, my subject line was good. Right. Like, it's an email, but it really brightened my day. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm at least doing one thing right. Right. My job. I think it's
1: really important when critiquing somebody that you start off with what does work. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you gotta dig deep to find something, but
0: there's something. Are you finding that students that come, do you want to be journalists? Or what is the, like, the dream career that it's, they're all coming Yeah,
1: you know, it's funny. I mean, I really have been encouraging them the last couple of years to think more about the lifestyle they want to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just needing any degree. I also think it's important... Some students really want to be journalists. Some students are more... You know, a lot of students are like, my credits are just kind of falling in this yeah. way. hmm And that's fine, too. You know, I, I make it really clear that journalists... Journalism students should also be thinking about things like content marketing. Oh, yeah. Um, and realize that it's a good thing, not a
0: bad thing. Mm-hmm. And
1: that um, to think a little more broadly and to not just think
0: in terms of reporter, editor, or writer. Yeah, which is important because... That's something that in my time in undergrad, it was like right. the advertising classes that I was learning was newspapers and print. And right. I was like, the internet is out. Why are we not learning about right, digital right. advertising? Like we did not cover off on that. We did not cover off on content marketing or right. in uh, this whole world of social media marketing that wasn't even d- discussed. And I was like, this is the world we're in. And so I like that you're not saying you come from a print background, but you're not saying your journalism degree has to go to print. Right,
1: and no, and it doesn't, it shouldn't. I think people who come to attached to an idea of what they're going to do will be disappointed. Um, I think that you need to, like, learn a variety of skills. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I also think there's a lag between what's really happening in the world and what happens in academia, um, yeah. and, I, and that's not good.
0: <laughs> not good, <laughs> right. but you, I feel like, are helping propel people with the I digital so. media and storytelling program and like having me come in and talk about all these out of the box right. opportunities that I didn't even know about until I actually was in my day one job which I still didn't even realize what I was doing right, right. <laughs> for two weeks I was like right. oh I have a dip- I'm in sales for this right. so yeah,
1: I'm in sales I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a
0: sales person and they're like yeah. yes that's <laughs> the <job." laughs>
1: that's the job right yeah. no I think that's good I'm, you know I try to um I try to, I've been trying to do that a lot more. Prepare students more for what is really out there. Mm-hmm. I try to get them looking at job titles as part of assignments. Um, I, I don't think anybody needs to write one more research paper in this world. Oh, I my think God. that Thank you. Yeah, professors Preach. can be a little more creative about the work they assign students. I mm-hmm. think, you know, Almost every class, I can't imagine why one assignment can't be interviewing someone who works in the field you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And that's an assignment. You yeah, know, to me that's more important
0: than a research paper. Absolutely. Now you've been teaching for how long? 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. Do you ever miss the magazine industry, like the full time aspect of it?
1: No, actually, no. <laughs> I was just <laughs> in New York at a journalism conference and I was like, yeah, I can't work for like five days a week in an office uh, again. Yeah, no. No. I do miss the fabulousness of New York, I think. Um, yeah. Sometimes, but. I, I more enjoy having a summer off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Forget that huge perk.
1: Right, right. I mean, that to me is the biggest perk. In spring break. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of... Uh, so anytime I think I miss it, I'm like, no, but then I'm I'm going to have like a few weeks off soon.
0: So what brought you from New York to Chicago? The teaching job? The
1: teaching job. Okay. I was originally from here. My family's here. Um, so all lines kind of pointed. You know, I, I was offered another job in Philadelphia and... I w- that was like going to be a lot tougher because I
0: didn't know anybody there, and I was like, "Why do I really want to do that?" But mm-hmm. thankfully, this worked out. And a lesson I feel like I could like shout from the rooftops too is like, moving to a city doesn't always make you successful. No. So the glitz and glamour of New York. When I new to Chicago, I right. was like, "Big city, I'm going to kill it." This and that. And my first year I was making pennies and I was pretty miserable because right. I was like, again, I thought I'm not equipped for this job. How did I end up in a sales position? This isn't even what I have background for. I'm making no money. What did I just do moving here? And it, I didn't need to figure this out in Chicago. I could have gotten this job in my headquarters right. in Orlando, right. Florida. Right, right. But I think people have this idea of like you need to graduate, you need to head to LA, Chicago, New York, yes. or some huge city to make it. And do you see that often with your students too? I do.
1: And I think there's an overemphasis on making it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't, you know, there's definitely pressure at a young age to be very successful. In the media world, that does often mean moving to a very expensive city. Um, I actually tell students that They'll actually have jobs that might be more fulfilling if they're willing to move to a small place. Mm-hmm. But I said, if you're not okay with that, then you need to decide: Do I want to do this? Right? Am I okay with living in New York and living in a dump? I actually found another reason I left was I was tired of living in a dump. Oh yeah. Um, I thought I might want a family one day
0: and a house, and that just wasn't mm-hmm. going to be possible there. Yeah, and fun fact: I just heard this like last week. New York was voted like the dirtiest city. Yeah, it might be in America. I think it was even bigger than that, and Chicago is like fourth. Right, so it's not all it's all it's not up. All it yeah. Right,
1: but it's um,
0: I mean, I still think
1: New York is fabulous. And oh I, yeah, I, like, miss it, but it's also kind of unlivable in its own
0: way. That's I think that's why I love that book, How to Murder Your Life, because right. it showed the glitz and glamour of right. these parties she was going to, getting flown to private jets to go to right. Paris Fashion Week, but then she had like rats in her house and was suffering right. from a drug problem, and she's like, but like the city was like feeling both sides right, of kept it. it right kept
1: it alive I mean, yeah just kind of fun.
0: yeah right. and so I was like it's I just want everyone to know like you don't have to move to a city yes there's opportunities if you're in that field like here there's a lot of media companies and right. agencies and New York that's why people go to LA for the entertainment people go to New York for business and finance and so yes in some instances it makes sense to move but it doesn't mean if you don't live in a metropolitan right, city that you can't find that you're not successful. Right, I mean,
1: it doesn't mean there's not videographers in Cincinnati. No, <laughs> it exactly. Mean, right. um, I don't, and I also think that people should realize that when you move to a market like New York or LA, it's also much more competitive mm-hmm. um, and, and very tough. Oh, yeah. Not that you can't, you know, I don't want to discourage people from right.
0: thinking that they can't achieve their dreams, but I think you have to accept the reality. Right. You've just got to be a little self aware. Right. That's something that. I think all of us could use right. a little more self awareness. Self awareness, right. Because when you start out, like I'm sure what you were talking about in Playboy, you probably thought killing it with this article and back. Right. And same thing with not only grad school and turning in videos. I was like, this video rocks. Right. And they'd be like, this soundtrack sucks. Your voiceover doesn't make sense. And I was like, what?
1: I'm, Me? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the only I was like, no, right.
0: you're wrong. Right. And then, I'm right. Yeah, yeah, even though I'm a student. Right. And this person's been in the industry for 20 years your ego gets in the way a lot. Right. And right. so I think that's something that I I'm even learning now in sales. It is kind of an ego job. Right. Your numbers are what your success is. And I have to learn to take a step back and be like, you're more than just numbers. You're more than numbers. Yeah. And you're more than more. the byline. Right. you there's a lot more going on. Right. Um and so it's it's just a lot. And I feel like a lot of what we have in common can be transferred to any other job
1: yeah I can it really can I think that um yeah I mean you have organization skills research skills I always tell people that too journalism is really about research Mm -hmm. which is everybody needs
0: in every organization so I want to end on a few different questions I think the first is was there a dream publication or is there a dream publication that you ever wanted to write for
1: yeah, I mean I still wanna always have like a huge feature story in the New York Times yeah. or like the modern love column. Yeah. I have had like two letters to the editor published there. That That's seems awesome. to be as far as I can get. You yeah.
0: Did right? you ever write did you ever do freelance work for something that wasn't the job that you were at? Like the yeah. Lieutenant Public like, Um
1: Yeah, I mean I wrote freelance work for the New York Post, I did freelance awesome. work for the Tribune, um Maxim Magazine and
0: Yeah. Did you ever find it, I just have a question too on Playboy, did you ever find it as a woman there being, did you th- go in thinking, I'm writing about naked women?
1: I never really thought about it, I never, I never really thought about it, because I didn't, especially at first, my job wasn't in the naked woman department. Right. It was like in the political opinions department, okay. so I was like, oh no, I'm in the smart part. Yeah. <laughs> so I never really thought that, later I was writing more about naked women, and uh um, and interviewing them more, and it was actually really fascinating to interview them and talk yeah. to them and talk to them about how their lives changed after mm-hmm. becoming
0: a playmate. I think that's what that, what's that one show that they all did? How, not House Bunny. Oh, a movie. right. Right. I'm I can't totally remember on that called. Right. Right. But that opened my eyes because you're like, oh, they're like doing real life things. Yeah, they do like, like real life yeah, things. Yeah, you, and you like have real this very people. big right. stigma of what it is about and same thing with like every other magazine. You're like, oh, they must only write about this or talk about that. Right. So, I like that now, to your point, it's becoming a lot more opinionated, or right. at least people are labeling opinion piece, Right. so right. people know this is a subjective right. matter, and you can form your own opinion on right. it. Um, are there any last words, or advice, or insight that you have? I don't
1: think so. I mean, I think you're a great person. I'm so glad you're doing this oh, podcast in you. your spare time. I mean, not thank everybody you. has that kind of gumption and passion.
0: Thank you. No. I mean, it's it's definitely work. That's something that I learned right. too. we've talked about this, like, starting with menial tasks, I taught myself to edit last week, and right. I was like, I'll pick it up. I remember this, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to edit, convert the file, right. upload. Why am I doing this? Like, I right. I could just send it to a producer, which I have in the past, but if you want to do something, you have to make it happen for right. yourself. And so I was like, if I want a podcast, I'm the one that has to get the equipment. I have to edit it. Right. I have to find the music, and I have to find people to interview. Like, it's right. not going to be handed to me on a silver platter, and so... I think I learned a lot of that from your program oh, and, and the school. So thank good. you. Well, thank you. This well, was great. Yeah, absolutely. We will link Patty in the show notes. Um, is there a specific email or anything that you want to share or no? Sure.
1: You can always email me at patty, P-A-T-T-Y dot Lamberti, L-A-M-B-E-R-T-I at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let's find some old articles and dig those up yes. and share. Yes. Okay, we will. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so Thanks much. you.